0: Good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you're listening from. This is Dr. Joanna Williamson. Happy Juneteenth. Juneteenth is Liberation Day, Freedom Day. Are we really free? Don't even get me started this morning. How are you, Dr. Iris Cooper? I'm
1: doing good. Um, I'm glad to see you. Um, I'm glad to be seen. And I saw something in my mind's eye this morning that I would like to share. Please do. I saw my mother wow. yelling out the window wow. to tell the children in the alley wow. to, tell the, to tell me to bring my behind home.
0: Your mother who has gone on to eternity.
1: Yes, but that is a reflection of the summers gone by where we used to leave in the morning like we were going to work and gather up all our, our folk in the alley and play until dark and come home for lunch just like a job and then go back out didn't even think about going home until dark and my mother was right there in the window that was her job to make sure that iris cooper got home at the end of the day that was the summer that we had back in the day and we didn't have fights or anything, well every now and again we had fights, but uh, for the most part it was a joyous summer and it was a vacation summer from school and it's so different than it is now, so different. But I'm glad that we're here today because we've got some special people to talk about summer and we children. Do. We do. You know what? I hadn't thought
0: about those kinds of memories that you're reflecting on, Dr. Iris. I hadn't thought about them in a while. So my parents used to whistle for us at the end of the day. When evening came, now now the first thing is... That was embarrassing, wasn't it? uh, Well, it it would be today, (laughs) but that was just part of the neighborhood. When everybody heard that whistle, they said, it's time for the Williamson girls to go home, Mm -hmm. and other folks had their signal. The street lights coming on, Big Brother coming to get you, the Ice Cream truck finally left the neighborhood, and so everybody knew what their individual family cues were. Yeah, I knew
1: I was in trouble when I saw my father walking down the alley in some high water pants and a fishing hat (laughs) hollering my name and I had told him over and over again if you've got to come and get me you got to take them pants off (laughs) but he looked like he had just jumped out of a fishing boat Um, but I miss him and them fishing pants.
0: Right. So bottom line is it didn't matter if we were embarrassed or not. Mm-hmm. And looking back, those are the memories that we're still reflecting on 50 years later. Mm-hmm. So obviously they must have meant something as we start summer. We're starting Respect. with a bang here with 80 degree temperatures in the Midwest. And we do have special guests with us today. And we're so honored that they took time out to be with us to bring not only their professional expertise, but their personal reflections and observations as well. So let's jump right in okay? okay okay all right so first we have I'm not even sure what title to give her because if the rumors I hear are correct she's transitioning from one role to another but we are so honored to have with us miss Alicia Gillison who up until fairly recently was chief engagement officer for Columbus City Schools which meant that folks in the community who wanted to do things for the schools and even folks who might not want to do things for the schools but who she thought strategically might be good partners for the schools, know her name and know what she stands for. So good afternoon to you, Miss Gillison. Thank you for joining us on The Window.
2: Good afternoon, and thank you so much for having me here, uh, Dr. Williamson. Thank you. So what is excited. it? You,
0: I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: i am very, very excited to be here today, and a beautiful day it is.
0: It is. What is it you're going to be doing next professionally is what we're hearing correct?
2: Yes, what you're hearing is correct. I have a professional opportunity um, moving into a role in Pickerington Local School District as the assistant superintendent over academic programs. And really excited about that opportunity. Um, But I will Share with you, I have been with Columbus City Schools for uh, 22 years, and um, leaving Columbus City Schools, or I should say this Columbus City Schools has matured me, has been such an important factor in my life, and I love the city of Columbus, our amazing students, and our amazing leadership that we have and absolutely the community partners who've leaned in with us every step of the way.
0: So for our guests who might not be listening to us from the central Ohio area, is Columbus City Schools the largest school district in the state of Ohio?
2: Yes, Columbus City Schools is the largest. Uh, we used to say the largest urban, but we took off urban because we are the the largest. Columbus City Schools has roughly, right now, forty. 7,000 students, and uh, of that 47,000 students, about 8,000 of those students are New American immigrant and refugee families, and we are a district that is predominantly uh, brown, uh, African American students.
0: And the district you're going to then, could we loosely call that a suburban school district, and if so, what is the diversity situation there?
2: Yes. So Pickerington Local School District is much smaller. It has roughly uh, ten thousand five hundred students, um, and of the uh, ten thousand five hundred students, you would say roughly twenty percent are could be categorized as Brown, and the majority of the students would be white.
0: And so you probably heard us do a bit of reflecting back to our childhood of many decades ago when we started the show. I remember when I grew up, you just went to your neighborhood school. You just got out of bed in the morning. You walked several blocks to your neighborhood school. When my son grew up more recently, it was like trying to find a college for him now just to find a K-12 experience that worked for him. Is that the norm now?
2: Pretty much is the norm. So in Columbus City Schools, we have uh, neighborhood schools where parents can select neighborhood schools. And especially when you're talking about elementary and middle schools. Uh, once programs get more specialized, for instance, Cos uh, High School is international baccalaureate. Um, and it is the only international baccalaureate school in Columbus. Columbus City Schools has 109 schools. And roughly 20 high schools and of the 20 high schools there's only one international baccalaureate so if your child wants to pursue that and you want that for your child then you would have to lottery into um, Kyle's high school now I know the district is embarking on uh, quality schools in every region actually it's one of the three priorities that um, our superintendent and our Board of Education will be unveiling in the fall. Um, the first priority is whole child, focusing on the whole child. Second priority is equitable resources for all. And the third is quality schools in every region. So you could look forward to there being more international baccalaureate schools, more schools with specific focuses in particular neighborhoods and regions so that that path would not be that hard to find a school that matches your students' interests.
1: Ms. Gillison, this is Dr. I, and I'm gonna go back a ways with my involvement with Columbus City Schools. I used to pray about Monroe and pray about Berwick for my children. And fortunately, they were Um, accepted or selected however it happened into those two schools and as a parent I remember preparing to help them with their homework I couldn't just sit down and let's talk about it I had to look up what they were studying and be prepared to have a dialogue with them they were called I think alternative schools is that outdated now
2: no, that terminology is not outdated. Um, as a matter of fact, I was speaking about Cause. Cause is an alternative school, and uh, Berwick, uh, Eastmore Academy, Fort Hayes. You know, they are the Fort Hayes is the School of the Arts. So you are absolutely correct.
1: Well, I benefited, and my st- my children benefited from that from those experiences because they can talk about a lot of different topics now, being exposed in those curriculum
0: so it would be impossible for us to talk about education which of course we want to do today and even more specifically for today as we go into summer the issue of whether learning stops during the summer or whether there's some lessons we've learned about what should and shouldn't happen during the summer but of course it's impossible to talk about education right now without talking about the past year to 15 months of COVID-19 so f- first is we made it we, we didn't know if we would be able to say that we didn't know if we'd be able to say anything several months ago but we made it and of course you Ms. Gillison have some very unique stories to tell about what happened in Columbus City Schools we're going to talk to you about what is affectionately known as LEC. So you can explain to us what that acronym means and what it meant to our students. But overall, what do you think we learned during the past year, not just in Columbus School, but as educators?
2: We learned that we need each other. We learned that we are a community and we learned that we are resilient. And the final, we learned that we can do anything when we are together. Now, if you could say that anything came out of COVID, COVID did not just happen on the east side or the west side or in Los Angeles. COVID happened everywhere, and all of us had to work together to get through that. And And it's not over yet, but what we learned, and especially with the LEC, Learning Extension Center movement, is we learned that we are one. And I think we had just been moving so fast in society and things were silos, but we had to tear those silos down in order to be here for each other and especially to be here for our young people.
0: And so, so what are or were LECs, Learning Extension Centers, what are those?
2: Well, during the time, if you remember, at, um, as we go back, the governor shut down uh, schools, pretty much shut down everything and we knew that there is uh, what we call a digital divide and based on equity has an
0: I think we're losing your connection just a bit but let me pick up on what you're saying that when the governor shut us down we all realized what we may have known but didn't realize the impact on our kids there's a digital divide in terms of those who have access to the technology that was needed to continue learning in a virtual environment is that correct
2: absolutely okay that is absolutely correct and i'm sorry I'm, i get a little feedback and maybe it's because i'm holding my phone too closely but yes, absolutely, and uh, the the students that, or the families in the communities that may not have had broadband, you know, or broadband that was that could support two or three kids on the internet at the mm-hmm. same time trying to interface. So what we did with learning extension centers, there was a um, our superintendent tasked me with um a reopening engagement task force how are we going to reopen our schools um how are we going to continue learning if students won't be able to be in the classroom what is that going to look like and so i'm getting i'm experiencing feedback so i'm not sure um, we can hear you we We can hear you wonderful Mm -hmm. so with that task force um, I we engaged uh, families, we engaged community partners, we engaged our faith-based partners um, building personnel administrators and we even engaged students to kind of see what this world was going to look like for us and out of that uh, task force was something um, we called a learning extension center and we wanted to think about uh, we have our faith-based partners all around the city, and during the day, Monday through Friday, during the school day, we were thinking that there were spaces that our young people would be able to use. And so we um, communicated, and we met with our faith-based leaders, and, you know, asked them their receptivity to the idea of opening up um, their space, which be a safe learning environment with broadband and adult supervision for our young people. And our faith-based community absolutely opened up their doors for us. And it caught on not only our faith-based community partners, but then other community partners like the Y, like uh, Recreation and Parks. They just start opening up these spaces And um, it was amazing just to watch it and to watch something go from an idea from the task force to actually come to fruition and support our families and support our communities.
0: So these were physical locations then that were opened up during the pandemic for our children to come and learn outside of the traditional classroom. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. And we even partnered with the Children's Hunger Alliance who would provide uh, food for the students during the day in these uh, learning extension centers.
0: So did students interact with their regular teachers when they were in the LECs?
2: Absolutely. So students had uh, Chromebooks and that's another, uh, when the pandemic first hit, students didn't have technology. We were not a one-to-one Um, district and one-to-one meaning every student has their own laptop or their own Chromebook but the city of Columbus leaned in and um, donated funds to uh, Columbus City Schools First Church donated funds to Columbus City Schools so that we could purchase these Chromebooks for every student so the student would take their Chromebook to the Learning Extension Center connect to the Wi-Fi and then be able to interface with their teachers.
0: So how many LECs were there and how many students benefited?
2: Wow, Uh, that's a great question. When we first started, we had uh, roughly, I would say maybe 110 learning extension centers around, uh, around the community. And the beauty is they weren't just for Columbus City School kids. They were for any child that needed that resource any family that needed the resource and uh the last time i i counted roughly we would see probably about 1400 students a week in the lec's and the lec's followed um every one of the guidelines from cdc as far as social distancing students having to wear masks um and cleanliness and hygiene, they followed all of those procedures. And it was really a blessing to our community and a blessing to our 47,000 students in Columbus City Schools.
0: And the individuals responsible for conceptualizing the LACs and working in them, these weren't just parents, right? These weren't just people who had some so called vested interest in being sure this happened?
2: Uh, Can you restate that question for me, Dr. so so the people behind
0: the LECs, I'm wondering for our listeners who perhaps don't have children in the schools and might be wondering why would others do that? If you had kids in the schools and certainly you wanted to help be part of the solution, but for those who didn't, why would anyone step in to do this?
2: Because of community. Because Mm -hmm. it, it was the best thing for our young people. So uh, we have volunteers and people in the community that just wanted the best for our young people and also understanding the equity issue, um, that there are certain parts of town, uh, there are certain families, certain communities that do not have these resources and just, I mean, just amazing people. I call them angels.
0: As you know, I had the privilege of being in on some of the early discussions about the LECs. And I remember one session in particular where a faith-based leader gave a very impassioned plea, if you will, to the other organizers that turned out to be a bit of a sermon or maybe a prayer where she talked about the meaning of sacrifice. And she said, you know, even if we don't know right now where we're going to get the resources and the time to do this, this is truly what sacrifice is all about. And I remember we all got very quiet and we searched our souls.
2: I I remember that. um, I remember that because when this happened, there was a a funding shortfall for Columbus City Schools. And um, it's something that we knew had to happen. Um, And then that particular um, pastor in that particular meeting said, this is what we've been called to do. So, yes, go ahead. Yes, and I remember getting chill bumps and, yes. uh, and, and getting very emotional at
0: yes. that time. Yes, so Ms. Gilson, we're going to have to go to a brief break. If you could stay with us, I'm wondering now as we're talking about transitioning back to normal, what normal looks like and do we have to lose some of these abnormal things that worked so well in the past year? So we're going to take a quick break. All right. And then we'll come back I'll to you. I'll be right here. Thank you. We'll come back to you on the window. Everyone, We're back on the window on this Juneteenth talking about the start to summer as it relates to education. We have on the line Elisa Gillison, who is leaving Columbus City Schools as chief engagement officer and going on to an assistant superintendent role, if I heard you correctly, with Pickerington City Schools. And so we had just talked about the last year with COVID and what we learned when we didn't think a year ago that we were going to learn much at all of this school year. As we go back to normal, not only in terms of COVID, and by the way, everyone, we still have a long stretch to go, so don't misinterpret that. I'm still wearing my mask. But anyway, as we go forward, it appears that on the national agenda, education may have surfaced again as being a national priority. So when we hear terms like educational reform and the state of our school districts, Ms. Gillison, what are your thoughts not only about what our educators and our government and our officials should do, but what about those in our audience what can we do about this thing called education first in the classroom and then we'll talk about outside of the classroom and community support
2: yes that's a great question doctor and when you think about educational reform and and it it is a word and it is picking up momentum the first thing we need to do is understand what educational reform is so um, I would invite the audience to really have a clear understanding on what educational reform is and what and what you want to fight for. And a lot of times when you think about going up against um, state and federal, we put that in someone else's hands, and we can't do that. As a community, we need to understand, and we need to understand the very basics. Uh, for instance, let's take a look at the the state assessment and not only look at the state assessment on uh, the Ohio Department of Education's website. Um, anyone, anyone in the listening audience, you can go to that website, look at the state assessment and take practice exams. And realizing that all exams now are on online. They're on the computer. It's not pencil and paper. It's not bubble in the circle. It's everything is online. And we feel like a lot of times that, well, our kids are pretty savvy with technology. It's not the same. So as a parent, as a guardian, as a student, as someone in the listening audience, you know, we hear about the state assessments. We hear how our students perform on the state assessments. But do we know what those state assessments look like and feel like? and what the skills are that our students have to have, not only the knowledge to demonstrate their proficiency, but also being able to navigate various platforms that they don't navigate every day on the computers and and things that they're doing at home. So we need to look at that. Is that the best way to assess our students? And if it is as a community, then we need to understand what that looks like, and that's what we need to be working with our young people on. So I would say not just don't be a, you know, don't stand on the sidelines. You have to get in there to know it and to feel it. But then when we say reform, you really understand what reform is, but you can't understand what it is unless you, you're you in the schools you actually uh, take one, I implore each and every one of you, just go. You, and the practice exams are about 15 minutes long. I did it with a group of uh, parents and community members, and I, I gave them the Chromebooks, and we went into the site, and uh, one gentleman said, it took me 10 minutes how to figure out how to work this platform. And after that, I just start pushing anything because I knew I only had 15 minutes. And if adults are feeling like that, how are our kids feeling? So
0: this is on the Ohio so, Department of Education website, these practice assessments? Yes, absolutely. And so are, are these tests culturally biased? And is there systemic racism in our school systems?
2: Well, yes, the, the tests are culturally biased because of who it, who's creating the test. Um, and when you say systemic racism in our education system, you know, racism is not uh, monolithic. It's systemic racism everywhere. And we have to be aware that it's everywhere and not just pinpoint just the schools. You know, it's in society. It's, it's everywhere. And so what we need to do is because we've lived with it so long, um, what we've been doing is targeting this or targeting that. But as a community, we need to come together. We need to identify where it is and collectively and strategically identify how we're going to address it. And now is the time, more than any. Now is the time because more people are aware. There were times when I would talk with with young people and they weren't even aware of racism. They was like, oh, that's never happened to me. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. But now, ever since, you know, George Floyd and everything that's going on in society, our students are, are taking their blinders off, and they're starting to become more aware. And our students are so very, very brilliant. Um, you know, they're, they're peaceful protesting. And what we need to do as a community is to help them peaceful protest, and to help just keep unpeeling the layers so that they understand systemic racism didn't just start. It's been from the very first day that we were taken from our motherland in Africa.
1: Ms. Gillison, you're bringing up a real hot topic right now, and that's teaching black history um, in the school systems and um, how it's now being positioned as political facts yes. about our transition as immigrants from Africa to the United States and what happened in Tulsa and what happened in so many other situations um, appears to be something that some educators want hidden oh, from the, the children and from the students. Um, how, what, what are we going to do about that? What, what can the consumers? people in the community do about that we
2: can keep pushing for it in the schools but more so we can do something ourselves we can teach it we can hold forums for students at community centers in our faith-based organizations we can teach it because it's our history too we don't want to leave our history to someone else to teach we want to teach it and uh, you bring up a very good point. That's something that we should be doing as a community.
0: And so, what you heard in the studio was complete silence as we all looked around at each other and nodded our heads in terms of our role in teaching our own children. And so, that leads us to a discussion of the summer as well, since. Hopefully we've learned in the last year, but hopefully we've learned throughout our lives that learning doesn't just happen in the classroom. What are your thoughts? What are your suggestions as to what we as parents, as families, as community leaders, as community activists, as just everyday citizens can do even during the summer months to keep our children
2: educated? Understand what the uh, one is understanding what the curriculum is and you can go on uh, your district's website, because there may be someone in the listening audience that is not from Columbus City Schools, um, but your district website uh, has the curriculum and has resources for you. Now, also, when you think about students, and I'm gonna call it unfinished learning, that learning that was interrupted because because of COVID, um, use this time this summer to provide our children with experiences and that's experiences you can go down to the art museum cosi when cosi opens back up the zoo give our kids those experiences and then try to tie those experiences to what you pull off of the district website for as far as curriculum because one thing our young people want to enjoy their summer they've been through a lot but now, what we have to do is get them prepped for the upcoming year. I won't say don't be, um, don't worry too much about unfinished learning, because there's so many social emotional. Um, COVID really impacted our kids mental, mentally and social emotionally, because we are social creatures, and for so long we weren't able to socialize the way we had grown up socializing, what we were used to. So really ease our young people back into the socialization, provide them with experiences, and go to the district website. And one thing that we could all do just to kind of gauge not only where our young people are, but gauge where we are, I'm going to say it one more time. Go to ODE's website and take the practice exam. Take it with your child. Take it with your niece, take it with your nephew, take it with your grandchild, and then together work on a plan. Uh, Because what you'll find is what you thought you knew (laughs) um, or what you thought you could do, especially electronically, that way, once you walk in their shoes, you know what they're up against, and you can work with them that way. I've
0: heard parents say that during the past year, with their children not in school for the most part, not in school in terms of physically being in the building, that they gained renewed respect for what teachers and educators go through every day. I remember when my son was small and he was diagnosed with learning differences, I had a teacher, his preschool teacher, who first angered me, but I credit her every day now for saying to me, you know, educating your son never was the school's responsibility. It's your responsibility, and the schools are your part. Partners in that, And so again, a reminder to parents, all we're saying this summer is to do your part as well. The schools are trying very hard to do what they need to do. But even in everyday experiences, my son is 25 and I just realized he never got good lessons in personal finance. And I realized that because I look at my checkbook and I look at this checkbook and I go, whoa, <laughs> we need yeah. to transition that responsibility. And so there are everyday lessons in, in everything we do. Thank you so much, first, for all you've done for Columbus Schools, for all we know you're going to do for Pickerington Schools. I'm just glad we're keeping you in Central Ohio. If you can stay with us for the remainder of the hour on the phone, we'd love to have you continue to join in the conversation. What we're going to do now is transition to our in-studio guest because I'm pretty sure that there's one activity that most families are going to participate in in a big way during the summer months, just like they did during the academic year, And that is sports in some form. And so I'm delighted personally to have a person who became part of my village a long time ago when my son was small. Coach Michael Thornton, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, what you're doing now, what your award-winning background has been in the schools and with our children. And thank you for joining us on The Window.
3: Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm uh, currently the CEO and director of the Dobo of Columbus, which is a a training program for really from preschool up to pros to adults and we specialize in basketball but really we are just specialize in helping people get better um, over the year over the last 10 years uh, we've developed different programs that have uh, not only tapped into basketball and other different sports but also tapped into uh, physical fitness health and nutrition so um, i'm 20 years a teacher um, i'm currently a facilitator at the um, academy for urban scholars and uh, we are very excited about what's going on there as well. And I'm um, just excited about uh, getting back into the community and and, um, and giving back to my to my people. And you said the DOBO of Columbus. What does DOBO stand for? It actually stands for the Director of Better Operations. Um, 10 years ago when I started it, I actually stood for the Director of Basketball Operations. And what that position is, is actually a college um, coach position. And um, I started that, or I, I brought up the DOBO probably uh, 1998. Uh, when I wanted to be a college coach, and usually that was the way into college coaching was to take the double position at, at any university. But um, as I matured as an educator and, and as a trainer, um, I realized that it was not it was bigger than basketball. So I want to help individuals get better. And so at basketball, I actually became better. And so as a director of better operations, I want to help um, the people, um, young and old, get better and whatever they want to do, whether it be sports or whether you're in the corporate world.
0: So I I said that that you became a a near and dear to my heart member of my village when my son was very small. He loved the game of basketball. And so I started scouting around for someone who could work with him one-on-one to teach him basketball skills. And I had a friend who said, well, gee, my son does that. In fact, her son, Michael Thornton, had won several state championships, I think at the time, with the schools that he worked with. And so he agreed to meet me one-on-one to, to work with my son. And I remember we got to the gym first and my son was playing basketball, waiting for him. And when Coach Thornton came, I said to my son, who's a, who's a great kid. I said to my son, okay, here's Coach Thornton. Uh, stop playing for a moment and come and meet him. And my son decided to take that one last shot. And all of a sudden I heard a male voice say, did you hear your mother talking to you? And, and, and I stopped what I was doing and my son stopped what he was doing. And at that moment, I realized everything that Coach Thornton just said in his introduction, that he was about not only making basketball players better at basketball, but also making young people and older people better at anything they wanted to do in their lives. And so the the lessons that he taught, I remember um, when my son worked with him, not only one-on-one, but in a team, and Coach Thornton gave the team a break, and when the break was over, and he gave them a certain time to get back from the break, and so they were half the Team was standing on the line ready when the break was over and he looked around and said, you all aren't, aren't on time and they said, yes we're on time and he was like where are your teammates and so they ran to get their teammates and they realized from that that until all of them were free (laughs) none of them were free and so it was time for the whole team to get back so uh so yes the lessons that you're teaching are valuable not only in sports but in life so i personally have a concern about and i told coach so it's fine for him to disagree with us today i have a concern about the extent to which I believe we as parents and families have become a sports culture. We're gonna ask you more specific questions about that, but do you have some general thoughts on that before we go to the break?
3: Well definitely, I think uh, sports is is an outlet for families to get their children to be active. Um, The the main goal is to get them to be active. And so the the competitive nature, the excitement around sports, um, families gravitate to that. And, And so sometimes you even have parents who are not even athletes bringing their kids to a sports arena because this is what people are doing nowadays. And, again, it's exciting. It brings people together, brings community together, and it's a great um, opportunity, again, for young people to get active. So it's very important, especially in um, after the year we've had, that these young people do get active. And it doesn't necessarily mean uh, basketball or football or baseball, one of these major sports, but it can be anything as simple as walking through the park and riding bikes and playing tagging you know, in open areas, which need to get, it, get our kids moving.
0: What happened to organized sports at the K-12 level? twelve level during the pandemic, did most of them maintain their programming?
3: A lot of it uh again disappeared because the numbers had to be very uh low due to uh, you know the restrictions we had in the gym spaces and so um, like even in my program we shut down for almost a whole year um, just because you, you couldn't um, get into the gym spaces to do the things that you would normally do as far as team wise so I did a lot of individual training but as far as team organizing cl- clinics and camps it really did shut down and it's just now starting to pick up
0: so we're going to talk to you about the positive aspects of sports that you just summarized, but also we're going we're gonna to poke the bear a little bit and ask you about what some of the negatives might be, again, so that as our listening audience plans learning through the summer and beyond outside of the classroom, they can build in thoughts from an, an expert like you as it relates to sports. So please stay with us. We'll be right back on The Window. We're back on the window looking forward to hot fun in the summertime, but especially as it relates to educational opportunities for our children throughout the summer. Learning does not just happen in the classroom. We're talking right now about sports with award-winning coach Michael Thornton, who's CEO of the Dobo of Columbus. So we know the positive aspects of sports and team building and growth and enrichment, but Again, thinking about maybe a list of don'ts. So I'm just going to go through my thoughts about some do's and don'ts. I'd be interested in your opinion about them, about these. So, what about families that set unrealistic expectations for their children? Uh, is, is everybody going to the NBA and the NFL?
3: Unfortunately, you unfortunately, the majority of the parents that are now involved in, at least in the basketball world, um, think that their child is going to the NBA, um, even if they you know, bought the, the certain players' shoes and they put them in these you know, camps and programs. And the, the realist, realistically, they need to understand that there's a foundation that has to be set. You know, it takes uh, a lot of work, it takes a lot of dedication, but there also has a lot of luck and a lot of blessings as well. And so um, when parents, especially at a young age, are, um, are forcing their kids, or not even forcing, but strongly encouraging their kids to be involved in year-round sports and, and maybe even if it's just one sport for the sake of garnering uh, a lot of uh, recognition and awards, it really sets the kid up for failure to me later on in life, especially if they don't reach that potential that these parents believe they have. Um, and so the kid feels like they're not um, being successful when, to me, simple growth is success.
1: Coach Thornton, I have a question yes, ma'am. as a grandparent. What is right or wrong about tying participation in a sporting activity to
3: grades? I think it's right. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very big advocate on education first, and I've told any um, parent that I've been involved with, whether it was when I was teaching and um, or now that I'm training, if your child's not doing what they need to do at home and in, and in the classroom, um, there's two things that can happen. We can stop the training altogether, or you can bring them to me, and um, we have things called pain parties kind of remind them the importance of if you don't do what you're supposed to do in life then certain things are going to happen to you in life and it can be very painful but here's a, a really small uh, microcosm of what you may have to deal with so um, I've had parents come and, and they're paying for a 60 minute training session but that kid ends up doing push ups and, and running and calisthenics and a lot of other things just to remind them the importance or let's sit down and let's actually do the homework that you missed you didn't do your homework last night well instead of you training today you're going to sit down and do your homework and that's my vision um, on how we can help put education first when we're dealing with training.
1: When do you um, insert that kind of negotiation? Is it middle school or is it high school or like elementary? or Immediately.
3: I don't, if, if, if I tell a, uh, a young person, if they can come and train with me and do what they're supposed to do for me, then they can do that for anyone. And so if you're not doing that for your teacher, then I don't want you here in the gym with me showing me that you can do it, but you're choosing not to do it. So we talk about choices and, and, and how those things translate to success. So I do it for any, any student that comes. So I, I, have, I started three years old. And so we have, I've had a lot of parents come back and say, I keep bringing my child to your clinics because they're getting a discipline and they're understanding what it takes in terms of um, success and it's translating to the classroom or at home for them. And it's really a, a, a pat on the back, not necessarily for me, but just for the way we look at training our, our young people.
1: So it's, it's life lessons. Yes, ma'am. Most definitely. It's bigger okay. than basketball. I get it. Way I bigger. It. Okay, good. That's good to know. Yes, ma'am.
0: So what do you say to the child or the family who, whose children, heaven forbid, might not be interested in sports they might be interested in the arts or in science is is sports the only way to learn some of the life lessons that you're talking about i
3: I think that we can use any activity that child gets involved in um and translate it into life and so for me i do have some students who may come and maybe their parents wish for them to be athletically gifted and after a few sessions you know i can see it over their body language and and their effort that this may be not what you want to do so i really simply have a conversation with them so tell me what is it that you want to do? You know, this ain't by chance that your, your your dad, your mom, your grandma, your auntie brought you to me, to me personally. This is what I've been praying for. It's this opportunity to invest in you in that particular child. And so we have those type of conversations Or what are you involved in? Or what are you interested in? And then we try to, I actually have those conversations with that parent and say, hey listen, I appreciate you bringing them to me, but we may want to look at something else for this child because I believe that they can probably have a little more um, happiness and joy doing it, something doing something different. And um, Again, the training, the basketball, the fitness is, is important, but we can have that. We can tailor that back some and kind of push forward what they're really passionate about.
0: And and how do you deal with the parents and, and do's and don'ts for them? I, I think that a lot of the peer pressure is parent to parent and not necessarily among the kids, although I know that exists. Do, do you see that, do you see parents that you think are kind of in it for their own self-gratification?
3: And it's, it's, it's unfortunate that you do see this um, kind of regularly now where um, you have some parents who are living uh, through their child, maybe they miss an opportunity or maybe they want some recognition to say their child is X, Y, and Z. And so there's this um, there's this push that they give this child that it, the child can't even be a kid anymore. You know, they they, they go to school and then they're in the gym all day every day and it's not just in the gym having fun but sometimes it's structured intense training and so you know I have those conversations with parents saying if I see something in a child that's say hey we may want to do something different I'm um, always bringing that up as a professional you know saying this is my professional opinion but I would never uh, railroad a child into a direction that I think is not going to be successful for them. I'll tell a parent hey listen not me You know, you might have to take them somewhere else. But I I feel like we're doing a disservice to this child if we're ever here, if we're every day. Let's tailor some of their training back. Let's scale back some days and let's see if that helps. Because, again, we want the child to uh, enjoy the process of growing.
0: And so this might be a loaded question. Some of your, your peers might not be happy that I asked this question. But what are these things called travel leagues? It's a huge investment of time and a huge investment of money. Does that pay off?
3: Uh, it can done the right way. Um, unfortunately, I like I said uh, over the past, let's say, since I've been doing it past twenty twenty five years. You know what is considered AAU basketball was what the travel league is what you know doing now. But AAU was really a, a vehicle for those who want to play college basketball. At least that's how it was. And what happened is you have these parents that their child's not making these top tier teams that were these AAU teams, and they start these neighborhood teams. And they call it AAU basketball. And so they've joined these travel leagues. And so you have a team of, you know, some of the top guys in the area. And then you have a team of some of just neighborhood guys, and it just, just, you see the difference. And sometimes it beats the kids' uh, confidence up to where they don't want to play anymore. And so the travel league, travel ball, the AAU is really a good vehicle when it's used properly. Unfortunately, there's big money in AAU, especially on the boys' side. So there's all kind of things you have to deal with even at third, fourth, fifth grade that, um, that take away from basketball, take away from the, the essence of why AAU was really created and that's why there's so many mixed feelings about it. But it really is a great tool when it's used properly. And I've seen some, um, some, some people who may not have gotten an opportunity to play college ball get a scholarship because of AAU.
0: Mm-hmm. So it
3: really is a tool when it's used right um, could really be a benefit to a family.
0: Now you mentioned boy
3: sports.
1: I'm wondering about girls. Hmm? Do you work with girls? Yes,
3: ma'am. And actually, I was the assistant director for the Ohio Girls Program uh, the last three years. But um, girls, especially on girls uh, basketball, has grown tremendously in the last 10 years. Girls in sports, period. Period. And, and honestly, it's, it's a testament to um, just girls being more active earlier. You know, um, first it was really a boys thing where boys play sports, 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 sports. And now there's some dads, even like mine, I have two, my oldest two daughters play basketball from the time they were three years old. And we did the AAU and the training and everything. But um, girls are, are now, they're, they're doing a lot more activities on a regular basis. And they're becoming some of the top-notch athletes around. And so now you are starting to see an increase in the abilities of young ladies and women in sports. And um, unfortunately, on the monetary side... It's you know, on the pro side, you're not seeing that same um, equality, but um, I do believe the strides are being made on the girl side.
1: I know I probably shouldn't jump into this conversation, but what about the same sports for boys and girls, and then, what about transgender? I hear that's jumping into the, to the mix.
3: It's definitely a hot topic. I believe when you're younger, um, because the bodies haven't developed differently yet, uh, I think that boys and girls, a lot of coed leagues are okay, especially in the basketball. I do encourage young ladies at third, fourth, fifth to play, you know, with the boys. But of course, as you know, as you go through puberty and a lot of things start to grow and you get different hormones and, and uh, development of the body, um, the, the male has a different has a different advantage, and it does become uh, unfair, in my opinion, when you have uh, transgender sports. And I mean, you could take you, you have a LeBron all through the league but then you only have one or two Britney Grinders or mm-hmm. Della Don's. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of the, the physical development of, of the male, it really could dominate a sport. Mm-hmm. Which, and that's not an academic thing, this is an actual physical thing, and that's where, to me, the, uh, you know, it gets cloudy. Is a, but I think, I think it's political. Oh, most definitely. And of course, no one wants to be um, no one wants to be the one to say that's not fair. That it is fair. But when you look at the genetics you look at the science behind it all, It you could really use data to really prove why it really is an unfair advantage.
1: Hmm.
0: And so finally, I'm, I'm going to take my lumps here. How can parents be a better partner to coaches other than doing what I do? used to do and that was sit on the sideline and scream my son's name and he'd turn around look at me and not look at the coach what can parents do i think
3: um research uh and also know what you want know exactly what you want uh, some parents go with the whoever's the uh, uh, most popular, or whoever has the most likes on the internet, or whoever so, you know, and then ref referrals are good as well. But if it's not a good fit for your child, it's just not a good fit for your child. And so, I think you need to do some research and then also be consistent. I know I see parents, uh, some parents take their child to every trainer in the city. You know, so when you're going to, it's like going to a. Uh, 17 different schools in one year, every school has a different way of teaching you. And so although it might be the same uh, material, it's taught to you differently do you really grasp the concepts of it all. And so a kid can spend two months training and never move forward, just based on the way their parent moves. How do you feel about everybody plays teams at a younger age? I believe uh, everybody having the opportunity to play is important. I don't think it's equal. I don't think it's supposed to be equal time. But I believe, um, like I said, I ran the Lincoln High Chief Association um, basketball program for about five years. And I had an issue with some of the rules that we played with. But we had to tweak them a little bit. And so basically for the first half of the game, everybody has to play equal. But then the second half of the game is basically you play to win. And so that kind of gave us a little more competitive edge, but I I think it does stymie some growth sometimes. But I do believe it's important that at a young age you get a chance to play no matter what your level is.
0: And and one editorial comment from me. If you decide to be a volunteer coach for your kids team, please don't make it just about your own child. It is still a team and not just about playtime and after parties and ice cream for your child and your child's best buddies. Yes, ma'am.
1: And I have one other point. Yes, you can tell we're experienced <laughs> with this. What about racism in sports at that uh, level?
3: It's it's at every level, and I have stories, like personal stories, Well I've dealt with it when I was at Afrocentric as a coach, all the way up till uh, maybe three years ago. I had a incident with my daughter's team. And um, it's it's in sports, it, it, unfortunately it is, And but also I would say sports are breaking down a lot of racial barriers as well. Um, I'll be the first to say that we can go certain places in the country as a basketball team and you would not know that there's racial tension just based off there's black, there's white players, there's males or females, and everybody's getting along because they love the sport, but it's definitely an issue and you go into certain pockets of United States or anywhere else and it can become a very big problem.
0: To our listeners, as we go into the summer months, learning does not just happen in the classroom. You don't have to be a brilliant scholar yourself to teach your children at home. We started this segment with Dr. I and I talking about good old fashioned neighborhood learning by being out and playing and listening to what grandma and grandpa had to say. So we are so grateful to Ms. Alicia Gillison, who is leaving Columbus City Schools to go to Pickerington Schools, but not leaving our Central Ohio community as she stretches stresses the role of community in helping her do what she does to bring learning excellence to our children thank you to coach michael thornton tell us real quickly coach thornton how our listeners can get in touch with you as uh, a trainer
3: one of the quickest ways uh on the internet of course the social media sites is at the dobo of c-o-t-h-e-d-o-b-o of c-o and that is ig and twitter and then mike thornton senior and the Dobo of Columbus on Facebook.
0: Say that one more time.
3: All right. IG and Twitter, at the Dobo, T-H-E-D-O-B-O of C-O. That is Facebook and Twitter, and on um, IG, it's the same thing, at the Dobo of C-O. T-H-E-D-O-B-O of C-O.
0: Thank you to our stellar guests and to our audience for joining us today on good, The Window. a discussion on from the, Paris. That's yeah. right. Um, that's we're right. going to have
1: to figure out how we can get this out to all the parents that are worrying like what are we going to do this and not only for parents
0: it's a community issue if if we live in an uneducated society as we see sometimes it impacts all of us
3: everybody
0: yes thank you we'll see you next week for father's day
3: thanks for having me thank
1: you thank
0: you on the window thank you bye-bye